Welcome to House Call with Dr. Mack, where you get a real doc with straight talk for the whole you. This platform of podcasting is amazing. As someone who avidly consumes podcasts for education on the go, as well as providing a platform for education, it has become apparent to me that you have a lot of leeway. You can design series, put together information, roll out information, tape at one time, edit, and then roll out when things are pulling themselves together. And so I took the liberty of doing just that. You know, as we were on our break through the holidays and we were still connecting with people, making new connections, reconnecting with old friends and colleagues, I was able to reconnect with a childhood friend, colleague, former classmate, Dr. Keisha Frazier Doe. We talked very seasonally at the time. As I began to put together a series on having a baby, I realized that her show really should anchor that series and transition us into our next Kids Corner for this season. And so we did just that. We are rolling out our show on kids and keeping them safe with Dr. Keisha Frazier Doe. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Keisha Frazier Doe is a pediatric emergency medicine physician working for Emory University at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. When she initially finished her training in, at Loma Linda University, she decided to give back and go to an underserved area on the eastern shore of Virginia through a program where her education was paid for and she returned her thanks in service. She then decided to go into a very specialized area of pediatrics, which was pediatric emergency medicine. She's been working at CHOA for two and a half years now as an assistant professor at Emory University. She has a special place in her heart for pediatric trauma and community outreach education. She thoroughly enjoys giving education to parents in the community. She is an avid contributor to a bi-monthly newsletter, Community Pediatricians, entitled PEM Connect. It helps to facilitate collaboration and communication between the community and emergency medicine physicians. In her free time, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she loves teaching her children's Sabbath school class. Their ages of one and eight really do demand a lot of her time, but she still finds time to read, try new dishes, and travel with her husband. Dr. Frazier Doe can be reached at keisha.frazier at emory.edu. That's K-I-E-S-H-A dot F-R-A-S-E-R at emory.edu. So, let's sit down. Let's have this conversation. Let's connect these dots. Let's get some straight talk. So, we're back here at the House Call community 
and I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. I know I did, spending it with friends and family. Um, you know, we got to start taking off those pounds probably that we all kind of packed on. But I am so excited today. I am joined with a former classmate, a colleague, a friend, a former childhood associate friend, Dr. Keisha Doe. And I want to welcome you to the House Call community, Keisha. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. You know, um, we've had the privilege to grow up in a small community in Huntsville, Alabama, and we also went to medical school together at Loma Linda. Um, you know, when you go through medical school, you decide what you want to do, kind of when you want to grow up, so to speak. And I went into the world of obstetrics and gynecology, and you ventured off um, into the world of pediatrics. So I want us to um, start this year with our Kids Corner talking to you, a pediatric um, physician. Actually, your specialty is emergency pediatric medicine. Is that correct? That is correct. So can you tell us how did you even arrive at pediatric medicine. Can you walk us through how a person would even go from just your general medicine studies to pediatric medicine, which is a subspecialty of pediatrics? Sure, that's not a problem. So um, early on, I would say probably even in high school, I kind of knew I wanted to be a physician, but I didn't necessarily initially know what I wanted to do, but pretty soon after I realized I wanted to be a physician, I really knew I wanted to work with kids. And I would say that for me, working with children is probably paramount to whatever I do in my subspecialty. If I, my, I jokingly tell people that if I had to do any other form of medicine but work with kids, I would just quit and do something else. Oh, wow. I really, like, I really, really love working with children. And okay. so early on, after I kind of decided that I wanted to do work with children, and decided, you know, wanted to go to medical school. Even in medical school, I kind of focused on, you know, the pediatric rotations and looked forward to them and um, was excited in my residency um, after four years of medical school. You know, you do three years of a pediatric residency and throughout residency, loved every part of it. It wasn't until, like, my very last, month of my pediatric residency that I really had a concentrated experience in the pediatric emergency department Hmm. or the pediatric emergency medicine department. So I didn't really get a lot of concentrated experience until then. And so I didn't initially go into pediatric emergency medicine. I finished my residency and then I, um, worked in an underserved community. Mm-hmm. I had a scholarship actually called a National Health Service Corps Scholarship, which requires you to work in an underserved area in the United States to pay the government back for paying for your your ed- medical education. So okay. my medical education was free of charge by the, you, the taxpayers, because <laughs> I worked in an underserved area. And so I after residency, I moved to the eastern shore of Virginia, a really rural area, about 55,000 people, I believe, wow. is the whole population, and um, really rural um, area. Um, you know, we had lots of deers and things in our backyard <laughs> at all times, okay. all kind of other wild animals, and lots of my patients, unfortunately, didn't even have running water because mm. of how rural it was. 
um, and worked there for about four years. Probably about one year into that, though, I really knew I wanted to do emergency medicine, and I didn't know how to go about it. I ended up talking to um, a couple of my friends who were still in their training programs because they were taking a longer route of training, and they were like, go for it, go for it. And I, so I, after finish, finishing paying back the government, I um, decided to do a pediatric emergency medicine fellowship, which is an additional three years of training post-pediatric um, residency, and then a total of six years post-medical school, if you want to kind of add it up like that. Wow. And... Um, the main reasons why I did Pediatric Emergency Medicine Fellowship is, number one, I love the higher acuity, meaning the sicker patients. Mm. I, I really love dealing with that. Um, I also like the variety, meaning you can walk in the door out on any given day, what I'm going to see, and that I love. Okay. So I just, you know, I could walk in the room, there's different people I'm going to see, different um, patient types mm-hmm. of patients I'm going to mm-hmm. meet. And that part I really loved also. So those are the kind of reasons why I think people choose my specialty. That's how you kind of get into it. Um, I'm sure a lot of people who are emergency medicine, pediatric versus just a um, traditional emergency medicine, which is traditionally called, is often called adult emergency medicine, um, they choose it because they have a little bit of ADHD or a little bit kind of <laughs> all over the place kind of a yeah, person. Yeah. And so... Um, and need to be moving, need to be highly, um, very energized. And yeah. probably, to be very honest, a lot of people who choose a subspecialty also have our adrenaline junkies. Mm. And um, that is probably another feature of the person who chooses the subspecialty. Wow. Okay. So I know some people would probably say, why is there a need for a separate department for pediatric emergencies? Aren't kids just little people? Good question. So, no, they are not just little people. There are lots of disease processes that specifically only affect children. Um, And that, so a pediatric emergency medicine physician would be best suited or best trained to take care of them. One, I guess, good example of the differences would be like a a trauma. So, Mm -hmm. specifically, a car accident. Okay. So, a child who gets into a car accident, the way that we evaluate them as pediatric emergency medicine subspecialists will be different than what um, would be done if they went to an adult emergency facility. Hmm. And, like how? you know, the type of, pe- type of labs you would get, the type of tests you'd run, the way that you would actually even manage uh, injury, internal injury. Hmm. There are lots of non-operative things that you might do, whereas in adults, you might need to operate. Okay, okay. Also the same thing with broken bones. And mm-hmm. children, lots of broken bones are um, are re- just reduced or set into place, whereas in adults, you break your bone, you have to have a surgery often. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of things um, that are different. Okay. Um, so there's lots of things that people don't realize that are different, but there's <laughs> there are lots of various differences. So what are some common situations that you see in the ED? So in the wintertime, which, you know, we're kind of moving into the um, that season, the fall, winter season, tons and tons of respiratory illnesses. Mm. So um, kids with asthma, having problems with breathing, difficulties. Um, uh, there are still the, the gastroenteritis, so the people with the stomach bugs, the okay. vomiting and the diarrhea. The late kind of fall... Early summer, we see a lot of croup, 
crew people might have heard of that with like the barking cough and the kids who are having difficulty breathing um, with croup, yes. um, which is another kind of version of a respiratory illness. Um, definitely other things we see year round are like cuts for um, more technical terminology would be lacerations, mm. um, broken bones, uh, injuries okay. of other, other types of injuries. So, you know, when I live in um, Georgia and so Football is a really popular sport uh-huh. here, and so um, Friday night is a busy night for us. Okay. You know, there have been nights in the emergency department where I've seen six and seven patients from or team members from the same game Wow! Um, with football injuries and things like that. So um, sports-related injuries are definitely things that we see um, a good deal of, and it, some of it's seasonal. Okay. So um, people who are in trauma medicine specifically for kids and for adults will tell you that traumas tend to happen when the weather is better. Mm, um, mm-hmm. So you see more traumas like April through um, kind of like the end of um, October, November. Okay. And then traumas tend to die down a little bit. And traumas, we specifically mean um, car accidents, motorcycle accidents, bike injuries, mm-hmm. um, swimming pool, water kind of injuries okay. um, tend to be more so kind of a seasonal thing. But you can obviously see car accidents year-round. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I want to go back to some of the respiratory illnesses you touched on, especially where we're now in that season. I know that flu season is usually from October through April and RSV season for the little ones is around this same time too. Are there any tips that you could give some of our new moms, um, some moms that may have kids that have asthma, some tips on how we can reduce our exposure to these types of illnesses. Sure. So, you know, the old adage, hand washing is very, very important. So a lot of the illnesses, for example, you mentioned RSV, it's actually a contact and droplets. So meaning you touch someone germs, they left it on a desk or something, you touched a doorknob, mm-hmm. whatever, that this virus has been on, and or, you know, they had a snotty napkin, you touched the same snotty napkin. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one reason why hand washing is really important. Um, also, uh, teaching your children, as young as really two, that they should cough into their elbow, not into their hands, so that they're not passing this around by touching, using their hands to touch something else. Okay. Uh, the other things are um, making sure their child gets their flu vaccine every year. So mm. Every child should get a flu vaccine every single year. Very important. Okay. Uh, the flu vaccine is offered in two different um, modalities. So you can get a flu mist, which is a nasal spray, which can be given to all children who do not have asthma and also based on a certain age range. So the young babies have to get shots. Um, and then the flu shot has to be given to all kids with asthma and also young babies. They have to get a shot and not actually the flu mist. But um, definitely a good way to get your child who does not have asthma to get the flu vaccine and say, you know, you're only going to get a spray in your nose, no pain, mm-hmm. no big deal, and that'll, you know, and that'll help them to not get the flu. So those are the kinds of things that definitely, you know, keeping them home from school when they don't mm-hmm. have a, when they have a fever and. Um, being cautious around other people who appear to be sick uh, are things that family members can do. And then just looking out for warning signs when your child's getting worse mm-hmm. and, you know, knowing when to go, when to check in to see the doctor. Okay. Okay. That, that is great. Um, 
we would even advocate giving the flu vaccine to our pregnant moms in all trimesters. So that's one thing that we would actually have to educate our our OB population about because we know that when a sick mom gets, you know, the flu, when pregnant women get sick, they go down really fast. And so we had to educate them to let them know, no, the flu vaccine is safe. You need to get it. And if you have little ones, we were saying the same thing. So I'm glad we're on the same page with the flu vaccine. Um, the other thing with, about the pregnant moms, too, is that the flu vaccine is not approved for children under six months old. So another benefit of the mom getting the flu vaccine mm-hmm. is that she is protecting her child from if she was to prevent her from getting the flu and then not bringing it home to her six-month-old or, I'm sorry, under six-month-old child who could not get the vaccine. So yes. it's often recommended that the whole household specifically get the vaccine, especially in years when there's a really young baby under six months old with the, um, within the household. Yes, yes. What are your thoughts on vitamin supplementation for children? So there's lots of... Um, Vitamins are kind of uh, interesting discussion in pediatrics. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of people who recommend certain types of vitamins, lots of pediatricians who recommend vitamins. There are supplements that are recommended specifically by the American Academy of Pediatrics for breastfeeding babies. So okay. they definitely recommend vitamin D supplementation for breastfeeding babies. And then part of the reason why I think there's a little bit of controversy with vitamins is that in telling people to give vitamins to their children, they, the American Academy of Pediatrics and other nutritionists don't want family to, families to think, well, I've given my child vitamins and now they can kind of just, you know, eat whatever they want to eat and right. don't have a right. well-balanced diet. Um, exactly. But in addition to having a well-balanced diet, that is fine. Yes. Um, making sure you're discussing with your general pediatrician about specific vitamins and supplements you're giving to your child so that there is not a concern with um, uh, with um, giving this medication in addition to maybe prescribed medications or any volumes of doses that may be toxic or detrimental to your child. There's certain substances um, special specific vitamins such as A, C, or D, vitamins mm-hmm. A, C, or D that in toxic doses could be a problem for children. Okay. So just knowing that you're discussing with your general pediatrician and realizing that they have recommended it's okay for you to take this and you've discussed with them the specific doses and the specific types of medicine is very important. Okay, okay. You know, you were also talking about some of the injuries that you see uh, in the ED with children. You touched on car accidents. Can I still have little ones that are in, one's in a booster, one's in a um, the five-point harness. Can you touch on car safety and um, car seat safety and just in general, what, what we should be thinking of as parents for our children? Sure. This is actually an area that I'm really passionate about because I've unfortunately seen so many injuries from mm. children who are improperly restrained or mm. not restrained. You know, I, I think about I had a parent who um, we were just going for a short car ride and they had their three-month-old not in a car seat at all. Mm. The dad was just holding on and he said, oh, I'm holding on for dear life. But I'm like, if you're going really fast, there's no way you can hold on. And of course, unfortunately, this three-month-old had multiple different injuries because dad could not hold on enough to keep the kids safe. Mm. You know, lots of parents 
my grandparents and great grandparents will say, "Oh, you know, in your day, you didn't have car seats," and right. that is true. Right, um, right. You know, that is we did. We started making car seats, I think, in the last in the nineteen sixties, okay. and um, and they increased in usage in the nineteen seventies and became universally mandata- mandatory, like in the mid eighties. Okay. So many people who were your physicians, even, and you know myself, I wasn't right um, restrained in a car seat. Exactly. So you hear that old adage, but we know car seats save lives. Yeah. When you actually look at when car seat laws were implemented and when they became mandatory, there is a significant reduction in the amount of injuries mm-hmm. that children are now having when they're in car accidents compared to when they were not when they were in car accidents pre the car seats. Okay. So you mentioned that there was like three different types of car seats yes. that you mentioned what your children are in. And that's basically kind of the general rule. There's a few other combinations. So there's an infant carrier seat. There's a convertible car seat. There's booster seats. And there's also like a um, combo convertible booster seat just to kind of help parents save a little bit of money um, on car seats. Okay. And each state mandates in the United States of America, every state has the same mandate for children under a year. Basically, the mandate is that every child under a year needs to be in a rear-facing car seat until they're 20 pounds and one year. So that's universal. Okay. After that, the laws change, but the recommendations by the American Academy of Pediatrics, of course, does not change. Mm. So what we recommend is that children stay rear-facing until they're actually two years of age based on your car seats um, guidelines. So, for example, when I was thinking about um, talking to you today, actually, I went and looked at my own child's car seat and thought that I thought that I could keep her rear-facing in that car same car seat until she was two years old and realized, no, I could not oh. because it's based on weight and her height, and her mm. weight is not 30 pounds, which is the max on that brand of car seat, but her height is at the max for that car seat, and that car seat's max was 30 I'm sorry, was 30 inches. Okay. So, the same, so, or, so that was the same kind of a recommendation could not be continued for that. But I can switch her to a convertible car seat and put mm-hmm. her at that rear facing until she's two years of age. Okay. So just kind of knowing what your car seat's um, recommendations are is really, really, really important. Um, and so you can figure out how long you can keep your child in that car seat. Doing some research before you actually have a child will help you figure out, you know, if dollars are kind of tight, mm-hmm. you may not really want to buy a carrier car seat because, yes, it's easier to carry your infant, but the convertible car seat will last you longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of deciding which one is best for you. Then, um, so we talked about the infant car seat, so that's basically either infant or a convertible car seat, and that's for children who are under one year for the infant carrier or based on the car seat recommendation, and those children should be rear-facing until two years old or the end of the manufacturer's um, um, determination on the car seat. Okay. Then when your child is flipped around, so based on the car seat size, when you flip them around, so you definitely aren't flipping them around until after one year of age for Mm -hmm. sure, Mm -hmm. but hopefully even closer to two years. They are going to stay in the forward-facing car seat until they're four years, and this changes based on where you live. Okay. So um, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends um, until they're four years and um, 40 pounds or the end of the car seat limit, too. Mm-hmm. So if your car seat can go forward-facing 
or up to 60 pounds, and they're saying, sure, keep them in the car seat up to that point, which mm-hmm. is a pretty big kid sitting forward facing and in a car seat, not a booster seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the booster seat laws are based on the height of your child. So if they're four feet, nine inches, then they're too um, tall to be in a booster seat. Mm. And so at that point in time, you'd put them in a um, just a regular seat belt in the back of the car, not in the front of the car, um, okay. until they are 13 years old. And when they're 13 years old, you're then safe to sit in the front of the car. Okay. Now, why is the caution for front seat riding before 13? Great question. The concern is about airbag safety mm. and um, the injuries that are possible from the airbags for the children, and just also just a st- just also more likelihood of being injured in the front seat too. Okay. And their size. It's, it's, the airbags are tested on adults, and thirteen-year-olds uh, generally, even though they are your child, tend yeah. to be more adult size. Okay. 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 Wow. I, I tell you, we um, have. A local fire department near us and I have seen where they'll advertise you know we're we're checking your seat but um your car safety your car seat safety if you're installing them correctly we even at the hospital would tell our patients you know go by your local fire department and see if they'll help you make sure that they're installed correctly because we also know that some people just are not installing their car seats Correctly. Yeah, about 73% of car seats are actually installed incorrectly. Mm. So a large percentage of people actually install them incorrectly. So getting um, your car seat checked is really important. Uh, you can actually just kind of, you know, in your local area, Google, because in some areas it's the Department of Health okay. that actually does the car seat checks, and they're all free. They're wanting to do this for you. Um, okay. I actually just had a baby about a year ago and went and got my own car seat checked, even though I know a lot about car seats. Right. I went and got mine installed and learned, you know, that the manufacturer, the kind I had, you know, they didn't tell me that I should kneel on the um, on the actual seat um the latch system to make sure it's actually really secure. Mm. And so I was I kind of watching the person do it, doing it was actually reassuring. So then I'm like, okay, this is the proper way to actually install the car seat. And realizing that one location of my car that I originally wanted to have the seat in actually was not the safest wow. because it was not going to be the most stable with my actual car, um, with the actual seat belt in my car seat. So mm. that was another reason why getting a certified car seat technician to actually check your car seat is really important just for stability of your child and this you know this very precious cargo that you're carrying and making sure they're going to be very safe in the car wow okay oh wow i talking about safety you know with kids they're growing they're running they're jumping they're learning to ride bikes our son just got his you know official bike this last birthday and so he has the training wheels on the back and he has a helmet. His sister has the little, you know, like the little big wheels version like we used to ride and she has a helmet too. Going back to in my day, we didn't have. Can you address <laughs> the helmets? You know, now all of a sudden and and I don't mean all of a sudden. I'm I'm kind of being facetious here. You're seeing kids with helmets, with knee pads, with, you know, elbow pads. And I remember jumping on my bike and gone, you know, down the street, around the corner, gone. But I do remember one time 
on my 10 speed, hitting the curb and flipping over my handlebars and down on the ground. So can you tell us now, why was there an evolution of helmets and how does that work into our children and their safety as they're, as we're watching them grow? Sure. So this is another thing that I'm passionate about just because I've seen lots of injuries. Before I mention about the helmets, though, I actually wanted to just reiterate, reiterate one more thing about booster seats yes. and the use of booster seats. Um, some I see a large percentage of families not remembering or not realizing that when their child is that four, five, six elementary age, that they think, oh, I don't need to have them in a booster seat, and they don't understand why. And I thought if I give you all the rec- the rationale why that might encourage more families to have their kids in booster seats. Please do. The, Please do. The main reason why is because being restrained in the car seats definitely prevents you from leaving the car because you don't want to leave the car in an accident. That's you know, definitely a, a serious way to get lots of injuries. You want them to stay in the car. So strapped in is important. But the reason why the booster seat is even more helpful is that when they're strapped in, in the booster seat, the seatbelt actually goes on their lap as opposed to over their stomach and is less likely to injure internal abdominal organs. So anything that's kind of, you know, over that belly area or beneath that belly area can be injured from the seatbelt. Also, we've seen kids having injuries even to their spine from mm. um, just not being in a booster seat but only being in a seatbelt. So sure, the seatbelt kept them from being ejected from the car, but the child is still a little bit more likely to get injuries. So the booster seat protects them by putting them at the proper height so that the seatbelt is worn correctly. Okay. So, a little bit more on the booster seat for you. Now on the helmet. Um, helmets wearing by, and wearing bikes are so important. You know, when you have a helmet on your child's head, you're reducing their chance of having a head injury by like 85%. So pretty significant. Um there are lots and lots of bike injuries each year. Um, there are about 81,000 non-fatal injuries from children um, having injuries from um, being in a bike accident. So that's great that they're non-fatal. But because these children are wearing helmets is the reason why. Mm. Um, I tell my son all the time, the reason why you wear a helmet is because broken bones can be fixed but broken brains, not so much. Wow. So that's an adage that I've been probably, that I, I made up like, you know, to kind of convince him the words, Helmet, I've been telling him that for years. And so he will see children, you know, riding their bikes without a helmet and be like, Mom, look at that kid. We mm-hmm. should tell him. I'm like, yeah, go and tell him. He's wearing a helmet. <laughs> I agree. Yes. So, um, Wearing a helmet is really important. Um, there are about 150,000 ER visits a year from kids who um, have bike-related injuries mm. where, um, where helmets should have been used. Mm. Um, about 400 deaths a year in children. Once again, because, you know, like I said, broken brains cannot be fixed. Mm. So, you know, you have an injury to your brain. If you're lucky, hopefully it will not be non you know, it'll be non-life-threatening, but if it's life-threatening, that is a problem. Yes. I actually laugh when I have people say, oh, you know, he should have on elbow pads and knee pads. I'm like, as long as they have the helmet on, I am okay. Right. right. The helmet pads, the elbow pads, the knee pads, great. You know, they let, will help you not get scraped-up knees and things like that, but, you know, we can fix scraped-up knees. Yes. We can fix broken bones. I, you know, once again, cannot fix broken brains. Mm. So very important for children to wear helmets. Um, all helmets are certified, so 
similar to car seats. They all have a certification, so they are by the Consumer Product Safety Commission. So you go to any given Toys R Us, the Target, the Walmart, you buy a helmet for your child. You choose whichever one is cute. You know, they have the ones with spikes now that my son thought was really cool and and got one of those with like a mohawk on the helmet. Right, right. You get one of those. Those are all safety certified. Okay. So it doesn't matter what the style is. They're still safe. When you have, when the child actually has the helmet on, make sure the top of the head is covered. Okay. And so that you don't, um, and that top of the forehead also is covered. Make sure it's not sliding all over the child's head. Mm. Um, if your child is in a bike accident, God forbid, um, and they are wearing a helmet, which I sure hope so after listening to this discussion, yes. do not reuse the helmet. So just like car seats should not be reused after motor vehicle accidents or crashes, mm-hmm. helmets should not be reused on bikes from, from a bike injury, rather, so a okay. bike accident. Um, unlike um, car seats, though, only about 21 states and, of course, the District of Columbia actually have helmet laws. Mm-hmm. You should definitely figure out what your state's law is, but first of all, you should have your child in a helmet yeah. at all times, but your state law might require, might actually fine you, and, and I've lived in different states um, over the course of my life, and I've definitely known there's certain states where I've seen police officers coming into the emergency department giving parents tickets in mm. my state. Um, I've seen them give tickets also for um, not having their children restrained in car seats, too. Wow. So, if all of the information I'm giving to parents is not making them informed enough to keep their children safe, know that the government will definitely fine you and give yes. you a ticket if you are not doing that yourself. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Keisha, I have had a wonderful time discussing our child, our children's safety with you today. Um, There's so many other topics I would love to cover with you. And so I'm going to ask that you come back to our community and that we sit down and discuss more about our children's health. Would you do that with sure. us? I would be happy to do that. Oh, wonderful. That. Wonderful. And I have one other question for you today as we end. Um, seeing that you are a physician and a mother and a wife, is there any, is there any, is there a philosophy, a certain belief system that you have that influences how you take care of your patients on a daily basis? So definitely I think just caring for them and the safety of my patient is really important. Um, I am of the belief that children should be allowed to have freedom to make choices, but within the proper guidance and um, um, values that the parents actually have. I definitely feel that parents should allow their child to make decisions and make choices, but also consider the ramifications of their decisions and their education of the decisions that they're making. I also really... Um, am a little bit worried about um, when I see what we call the typical helicopter parent that's just hovering mm-hmm. over their child and not allowing them to um, live hmm. to some extent. You know, mm-hmm. I often see parents in the emergency department and the child is about to get their blood drawn or about to um, have something done to them. They're like, oh, it's not going to hurt. Oh, my, or they're, or, or they're the opposite and they're flipping out before the child is even aware of what's right. going on. And I really caution parents to say, you know, keep calm. 
you know, let your child explore the world they are involved in, but just making sure that with safety, you know, let them ride their bike, but wear a helmet, you know, um, let them um, make choices that are appropriate, but just giving them proper guidance. And also just, you know, try to avoid some of the hovering that we see and some of the decisions that don't allow your child to make decisions themselves. You know, some choices are important for us to make. You know, choosing if you're going to have a certain color outfit is an important thing for you to make. And I think the same thing with choices within healthcare. So mm. I oftentimes will say, you know, this is going to hurt, but afterwards you have a choice of a green popsicle and a, or a red popsicle. Like you know, that. those are the kind of things that you can kind of help your child realize that they do have some choices in life, but there are some things that are going to kind of hurt. And that is that's life you know life is not perfect and so um those are kind of the philosophies that I have for my own children and also in taking care of children in the emergency department and I just also caution parents to kind of educate yourself to be aware of what are the common disease processes the common illnesses that your child can encounter Mm -hmm. keep yourself abreast of what's going on in the world um, you know, there's a lots of technology and um, screen time usage, and your child is using things you may not know what they're using. So, really yes. important to keep yourself educated. There are a couple of reference books that I often recommend to parents, especially new parents. Um, yes. Especially two, a couple of them that I wanted to mention actually was a book called "If Your Kid Eats This Book, Everything Will Be Okay." Will still be okay. <laughs> and this book is by Lara Zibners and. Um, Basically, this is a great book for new parents to read and as you go along in your child's um, life because it tells parents how do you know if your child's injuries or illness is really an emergency. Mm. So there's lots of things that parents bring their children to the emergency department for that are true emergencies. And there's lots of things that really aren't. So having a fever for two hours is not a true emergency unless your child has a chronic medical problem. And by that time, you should have known if that was a true emergency or not. Um, And so that's one book that I recommend to families. The other one I recommend is Baby 411. Okay. And this is also written by a physician. It's written by Dr. Ari Brown. And then if you're not a person who likes to read, there's a website that I subscribed to when I was pregnant with my son, eight and a half, nine years ago. It's called babycenter.org. I still get emails from them on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And I would say that every time I read something from them, I, as a physician, am confident that what they are reading is accurate. I, I The veracity, the information is definitely based in science, lots of important details. And so for parents who like weekly, daily updates, this is a great website, which will talk about many of the things we talked about today in a lot more detail. Oh, that's wonderful. And I will put all of that information in our show notes. Oh, Keisha, thank you so much, Dr. Doe. It has been a wonderful time sitting here talking with you. And again, we're going to have you back. We're going to talk more in depth of different, um, diagnosis different areas and for our children in our children's corner thank you so much for joining us today no problem i'm happy to do so anytime